podcasting. Since the beginning of their show, Chris and Mackenzie have covered much of the Star Wars animated galaxy. Will they let the cunning Clone Wars series finale scoot by without mention? Doubtful. We join them now. Staying tuned. Day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation, storytelling, and completion. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're talking about the ending. Ah, the ending of Star Wars The Clone Wars. In the words of Star Wars, nothing's ever really ending. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's ever really gone. Yeah, it'll live in our hearts forever. And also, like, now the animated Star Wars TV canon timeline is just as confusing for where to begin as the rest of the movies, so. It's wonderful. (laughs) It's wonderful. Watch Clone Wars, then Rebels and Resistance, and back to Clone Wars? Do you just do all of Clone Wars all the way through? Do you chronological order Clone Wars? Do you do production order Clone Wars? Oh. No one knows. Who knows? <laughs> do you watch Mandalorian before you watch these other ones? Like, which one do you think? <sighs> oh, it's so confusing. But juicy. It, isn't it wonderful to be a Star Wars fan in 2020? Uh... Depending, I suppose, <laughs> on your opinion of Star Wars recently, hopefully I, people heard in my voice the seriousness that I said that so <laughs> they understand where I stand on the latest releases of anything right now. I, I feel like it's a good time to be a person who likes Star Wars. I'm not going to go as far as saying the word fan because I feel like fan is now taking on a negative connotation as it rightfully possibly should. But I like Star Wars, so it's a good time to like Star Wars. Mm, That's a a good qualifying statement, I suppose. (laughs) We are people who enjoy Star Wars. And it's... I knew this was going to be good. I I didn't know it would be as good as it was. I think Mm. with all of Star Wars, it's happened before and is currently happening and may happen in the near future like this four episode finale arc of the clone wars animated show is like the linchpin for everything this touches everything else star wars and i think that it boils down the themes of what star wars is and what star wars is about so succinctly and beautifully and maybe more clear and better than any other Star Wars that's come before it. Hmm. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. I've been thinking a lot about, this is why I say I like Star Wars. I've been thinking a lot about, like, what I like about Star Wars and of those specific parts, why I like them compared to people who want something different out of Star Wars and what we're getting today. And it's like Mm -hmm. they have... It may seem like they're missing the themes of Star Wars, but perhaps the themes of Star Wars were never 
hit you over the head in the first place. And I think they're getting more towards the hit you over the head with the theme. So there's no mistaking whether or not you like Star Wars at this point. It's interesting because theme, we don't usually talk about that. We talk about character, story, but not until you get into novels or things like that larger texts do we start discussing larger themes because I think to express a theme, it has to be larger, grander in some way. I don't know that it has to be. If we take this conversation all the way back to the roots of this podcast, um, writing, and of course we both are playwrights and have come out of the theatrical world, I think theme can also be a a message or some kind of it's like the plot is you as the author are trying to get the audience to understand something and at the end of the set of things you're going to watch the will they or won't they is does the audience get it and i think of like a an evening of 10 minute short plays like a david ives experience like there's a theme that unites all the short plays and they're all related and loosely kind of around the same thematic ideas, even though they're not related by plot. There's no like runner that joins them all together. And I think Star Wars, we're seeing more and more is a lot like that. Like everything is maybe kind of interrelated. It's all part of one big story that they're telling, but the themes are unchanged over mm. time. That makes sense. That does make sense, because even though these great many things going on in the Star Wars universe, they do still feel similar. And I think people are trying to get at what is the essence of a Star Wars thing? <laughs> is it is it the lightsabers? And I think we've we've had answers that, no, it's not about lightsabers. Is it about a war. Well, yes, generally that's in the title, but that's not good and evil. That isn't necessarily the big war. Um, it, it goes deeper and grayer. And the more that the characters start to react to the theme and react against the theme in some cases, makes it really, really interesting when characters start to play against what you think they should be doing. And I think yeah. this this is a good example of characters surprising you as they um, encounter the theme. I even look backwards at older Star Wars movies, and I, I think about if the current Star Wars discourse... Mm-hmm. were what it was but the only thing we had to discuss about that was topical and new was like return of the jedi like for what i heard about return of the jedi as a kid growing up not with it but in the time after it before the prequels <laughs> <laughs> dating myself uh i remember a lot of people saying like oh that's my least favorite i don't like that one i didn't get that and it was my favorite one of the first three when i was a kid mm-hmm. and now what i see in return of the jedi is something akin to like steven universe where ultimately the the moral lesson is you it's not about the war 
It's about stopping the war and like ending the war. And mm-hmm. Luke wins by choosing not to fight, which is a very like modern Steven Universe message. And that's not what people wanted. They wanted a big battle back then. And that's why people, and I quote, didn't like Return of the Jedi. And that mm-hmm. used to be like the fan least favorite. And it's so interesting because like that's been there since the beginning of what people love, air quotes, love about Star Wars. And that continues to be the theme that is told again and again and again. It's like people who are capital F word fans uh, <laughs> keep missing <laughs> over and again, over again. Yeah. I, I agree. Because for me, Return of the Jedi is my personal favorite. And again, because of the capital F fans, my second favorite, and I fear for saying this, is The Last Jedi. You know, because it's the same theme in that. Mm -hmm. It's not about the fighting. It's not about the spectacular thing. It's about pulling things together. And that's what I really like about the structure of the new trilogy movies, too, is because it subverts your expectations on a second level by getting to that theme that's been the end of the previous two trilogies in the second movie. Mm. It's like, great, so here's the same message again, in case you missed it the first two times. Now we have another movie left to build on that theme. And I think that's still so fresh that we could have like a, a writers get live action podcast debate just about whether or not they succeed with that in the final movie. <laughs> and that'd be interesting <laughs> in its own right, but that's not what we're here to talk about today, but we are talking about star Wars and subverting themes and what those themes are. And I think the the, for me, the themes are like you win by not fighting mm-hmm. or like choosing, choosing love might be a better, broader definition of that. Cause it gets some of the other things like saving what you love, not fighting what you hate. Right, right. And and identifying what you love and embracing that. Yeah. Choosing it. Yeah. I think when you say choose slash save, it's it's the theme and it could go in one of two ways, which we could discuss, but we'll get there. I think we'll get there. Yeah. What else? Uh, For me, another one that I don't know if they hit on as much in this because this is a very like thematic type a cliffhanger in this way of it's not too late for a bad guy to change their ways hmm. so it's also i i will see if star wars celebration happens this year but it's going to go to my first star wars celebration this year and i might still do i don't know yet i need to check the website for updates um I was planning on doing cosplay and venturing into that world for the first time. And I thought I'd go as Agent Callus of Rebels. And I really got to thinking about, like, why do I like this villain? Why do I want to embrace dressing up not just as Callus the hero later in the Rebel show, but Callus the villain in the first part? And I realized, like, what I really like about Callus is he's a villain who changes his ways because he sees what's wrong about what he's doing. And that's a lot of what's in Star Wars. Darth Vader does it. Kylo does it. I think certainly a lot of the Mandalorian is about the Mandalorian doing it. We mm-hmm. just start at that point of like, cool, let me change my ways. And we're just extrapolating on that for the rest of a TV show's existence, which I'm okay with. Right. It's just a TV show of consequences of doing the right thing. Yeah. And here in the, the Clone Wars finale, I don't think it's about a bad guy changing their ways to not 
it being not too late, it's the the cliffhanger of like, can a bad guy change their ways? <laughs> Is it inevitable that they become bad? Because we just leave with that Vader image. Sorry, spoilers. With that Vader image at the very end. <laughs> uh, it, it's part of that theme for me, but it, it's not the whole theme there in this finale. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it needs to be because it's about a very specific period of the Star Wars Galaxy timeline. Right. Um, any any other th- themes that you want to bring up and out of the Star Wars mythos that we see at play here in the final four episodes of season seven of the Clone Wars? Ah, those are the main ones for me. Do you have any that I have that you would say are themes that I've missed? I think the way that you put it, choose love was something that I've been scratching at, like that connection to people. Like, what is that connection that brings people together? Uh, There is so much in the inevitability of what's going to happen. So the fates, the prequels are all about the fates coming together. Like, what is fated? Um, maybe they might even duel, you know, uh, will so the, the fates coming together to conspire against good in some way, or somebody's fate is inevitable. And we feel that coming up through here, but how fate is treated or disregarded is one of the themes, just like that inevitability, which goes along with what you were saying about our villains always, are they forever bad? Um, will Are people destined to fall in love? Are people, so maybe destiny is in there too, in some way. But yeah. it's just, I'm just clawing at that, because it, 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 it that inevitability and destiny and fate is all lumped in there. Yeah. Which which makes sense that there was a possibility that the ninth film could be called Duel of the Fates, but it also made it wrong that it was called gonna be called Duel of the Fates, you know. <laughs> I can see not, that. That's not the final theme necessarily. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Anyway. <laughs> Food for thought. Food for thought. There's so much Star Wars, we can't cram it all into this episode. I feel so I bad. know. So let's let's talk through... Uh, we talked a lot about the, the themes coming up in Star Wars in general, and specifically that's going to end up in these last four episodes. And the titles of these episodes, which I feel like is just one big movie. I mean, you said that too yourself. I'm like, this is one big movie that's been chopped up. Yeah. Obviously. Um, it has one episode with the crawl, you know, the open newsreel spoken crawl that we get from Clone Wars. And then after that, we don't. After that, we just get connected to what happened last time. But even then, like, with that crawl, like, it's it's... It, it does like that Skywalker saga recap, but in the Clone Wars way, like here's what happened last time to set the mood of like right. in media rest where we are. Right. But it, it tells you right away. It's different with the old Lucasfilm logo. And it gives you like the star Wars theme song. It, 
going into this right away, you know it's different because it opens differently than the rest of this TV show. Star Wars Episode Two and a Half. I, I, like two dot hundred and fifteen. <laughs> two point five to two to three point one. Yeah, like as much as I love this and I think that it's a great like two hours of Star Wars, I I don't think it stands on its own. Like I'd yeah. recommend Solo to someone who'd never seen Star Wars before and I'd be like, you will enjoy this movie. Mm-hmm. You don't need to know anything about the rest of it. It's helpful, but you can enjoy it. This is not a two hour period of Star Wars you can come into knowing nothing and still enjoy. Right. I was just thinking about that. I rewatched part of the third episode today, uh, Shattered, and I was like, you know, if I had no understanding of anything Star Wars, I would be so lost right now. And nothing <laughs> in this episode would make any sense. Not thinking yeah. that that's the first episode of anything that we saw, but so much happens in that that's just reliant on you, the Star Wars fan, have having done not just your homework, but having experienced everything else at least the first three films yeah i'm sorry the second three films and i i'd say even some of the the clone wars tv show right like if you had no idea who ahsoka was you'd be like why am i watching this star war right there's one episode with just what is it 15 minutes of obi-wan and anakin in it and then they're gone and you're like well i thought star war was about them (laughs) <laughs> is star Wars not about obi-wan and anakim or whatever yeah there's a lot of soap opera points that you need to hit and understand in order to like really like this one but there are also a lot of throwaway references to future stuff that you don't need to know the future stuff to be to understand this it's just nice like for people who've seen all of the star wars go like ah there's that guy that guy does things later <laughs> I mean, it's all dramatic irony. That's the best part of doing anything prequel-ish is having dramatic irony all at your disposal. Mm -hmm. That's why episode one, the best parts of it are things like Palpatine going, I'll watch your career with great interest. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure you will. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just all dramatic irony and everyone's in on that. And it's just nice to have that. It's a, it's like a little reward. It's like, here you go. Here's your here's your little piece of chocolate for having already watched our stuff. Star Wars fans can have a little reference as a treat. <laughs> uh, <sighs> so what what more can you say about that mood that we get in that first episode? We get the opening, different titles. We still get the Clone Wars opening crawl, in a sense. I I think the first, like, five to seven minutes really set your brain up, if you are a person who likes Star Wars and follows Star Wars, to, like, analyze and see the differences and similarities. It's a juxtaposition thing, mm. because the fight... They open with Obi-Wan fighting on the bridge uh, against some droid army. And then Anakin shows up and does like this. First of all, Anakin showing up is like a nice 
character bridge to who Anakin is now versus in episode two. He's very confident. He's got very powerful. He just kind of like dodges a laser without even looking where it's going. <laughs> We're set up to see he's grown a lot. Um, but then he does basically what Obi-Wan did in the Clone Wars TV show premiere movie with a false surrender, but it feels worse for Anakin to do it. It's like done with overconfidence, not in like a desperate plea. Um, so you're seeing how you're shown trappings of Star Wars at the beginning before the story actually starts to show like, ah, this is different. And then you're given a scene go like, ah, this is the same. And so your brain is to, you're set up to look at how things are different but similar to other things. Or in the words of George Lucas making the rounds right now, it's poetry. It rhymes. Mm-hmm. This it's- is more of a slant rhyme. It's like not quite the same thing, but <laughs> it's complementary to other Star Wars stuff. Yeah, it it's really nice. It felt familiar. And there's that familiarity that gets you as an audience member into thinking of, I know where this is headed. And then to be constantly reminded, oh, I don't. I really don't. I think that's that false security that we get of, I know what's going to happen. And then to be thoroughly uh, surprised when things don't go that way. In the immortal words of Luke Skywalker, you know, this is not going to end the way you think but it also does but it also does <laughs> it, but it it's not going to get there the way you think <laughs> right it all it all has to do with everyone says the star wars from a certain point of view you know it's like yes that's always true everyone may be telling you the truth from either the way they know it the way they want to believe it or in some rare cases the way it actually happened mm-hmm but no uh, one is fully telling the truth. I mean, I was going into this thinking a lot about like what makes a story interesting when you know how it's going to end. And it's right. this. Like, if you have been deep in the Star Wars lore, following all the references in books and comics and shows and movies, you have a pretty good idea of how this is going to end, this final episode arc, before we get there. But what makes it interesting is how they get you there along the way. And it's still worth the journey because it's not just what's a good metaphor for this it's not like algebra Mm. you're not solving for x it's not like a formula and you have one variable and that's this and you can you can solve the equation go like cool so the missing thing must be this Mm -hmm. and that would be enough but that's not enough of a reason for them to go back revive a show that's been gone for like six years, do a final (laughs) season, tell the story that we already kind of know, like, why are they doing this? And it, I think we've talked a lot about already. It's the themes and like hitting on all the themes of star Wars and expressing them in this moment, in this way. And it gets you there in a way that's not surprising, but is extremely satisfactory. Yeah. That brings up a lot about catharsis and, expectation and delivering on expectations, but also not delivering on expectations. I think when we first meet our characters, we get that first, the Clone Wars premiere, the movie. If we, if we go all the way back to there and say, that's where the story's starting. 
in the theatrical release of Star Wars The Clone Wars, which in some ways is basically the pilot episode of The Clone Wars show, where we meet Ahsoka Tano, and she comes into Anakin's life, and you say, great. Yes, this story is about these wars that are happening, but it's also about the Jedi, and it's also about the relationship between these two people. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come together in this very first episode. Mm -hmm. So somehow, the Clone Wars series has to be about Anakin and Ahsoka, and that's not... We have not seen the full story of that. And that's what I love because the story of Anakin and Ahsoka ends the Clone Wars adds much more depth and reason to like why Anakin slash Vader are the way they are in Revenge of the Sith. Like hmm. if you just see Revenge of the Sith, which is as, as I think we were talking about a little bit, maybe before the podcast, it's maybe my favorite Skywalker saga film. It's not the best. I know that that's a fact. <laughs> but it's probably my favorite because I can see the strokes and what they're going for. And I like it even more having these other gaps filled in that provide more well-rounded motivation and depth to the characters of Revenge of the Sith without that information being in the movie. I can enjoy it on a greater level now. Hmm. So those some of those references to Revenge of the Sith, what, what does... What do these four episodes bring from Revenge of the Sith and also offer to Revenge of the Sith? Can you think of any that are strong? I'm not talking about Easter eggs like, ooh, this is this. and Yeah. Well, I, let, let me get my Anakin soapbox or like back to tank table or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. So like you said, there's, there's very little Anakin in this finale itself. But what we get about Anakin is so informative mm -hmm. and so this is the story of the end of the anakin ahsoka relationship as we know it and we begin at the beginning of this finale arc with anakin being much more confident being like a little like mm, what are you doing you seem like you're a little too into this um at one point bo katan kind of hits the nail on the head by saying i wish i was good at something other than war and that's kind of a moral for a lot of Star Wars, but Anakin doesn't feel that way. He is good at war and he doesn't feel bad about it now. Mm -hmm. But what he does want is tether to, I think it is one of his few tethers to friendship and like the light side, in addition to Padme and Obi-Wan, is Ahsoka, who he hasn't seen in a while. So they see each other and he's craving that connection again. He wants to catch up and be friends again. He even has a scene with Obi-Wan kind of ranting a bit like it all makes sense now that's why she had to leave so she could get better and come back now he's trying to justify in this fatalistic force-led way but the reality is the jedi betrayed ahsoka basically in a previous episode she gets expelled and going to get executed but then not and she redeems her name but then walks away anyway and what I think we see here Ahsoka not making that connection with Anakin in these episodes in a meaningful way is when Anakin turns to the dark side, he has, he's been thinking about, has a context of was Ahsoka right to walk away from the Jedi? Hmm. And he's seeing her points. He's fighting for her and what she wants to go after Maul in this case. And Obi-Wan's representing more of the Jedi council saying like, no, you shouldn't do that. 
And so with that added context, we can assume that on his mind are Revenge of the Sith, Anakin's thinking about, why did Ahsoka leave? I'm still with the Jedi. Does she see me as part of the problem? Should I walk away? Like, what do the Jedi have working against them right now? Why am I doing this? Hmm. Why am I still here? How are they supporting and or not supporting me? And exactly. Did, are they going to do the same to me someday? Yeah. And then on the flip side, in addition to motivation for Revenge of the Sith, what we have at the end of Revenge of the Sith is Anakin slash Vader on Mustafar, the fire lava world, and his burning anger of the dark side. And at the end of this Clone Wars finale, we jump ahead to some unknown point slightly in the future, after Revenge of the Sith, after all the Clone Wars, to the planet where this Star Destroyer has crashed in a very Jakku reflecting end of the Empire way. Mm-hmm. And Vader walks up on this ice world in quiet, and he finally finds what he believes to be the end of the story of his last friend he was looking for, Ahsoka, the last thing that could bring him back, his family, his friends, and she is also gone, and he has essentially sent her to her death. And so we have this Darth Vader depression of the dark side reflection of this ice world versus fire world, like very gothic, pathetic, fallacy, literary invention of looking at the environment, how it reflects the character's mood. Mm-hmm. So it augments the motivation and also the end result for me, which is why I think this is about Anakin, even though he's not in it. I mean, it it truly is. I mean, when we were talking before this started airing, I think we were talking through what's what's it going to be? What's going to be the final moment? And we talked about how it's going to have to have Anakin and Ahsoka together and he's going to have to walk away or it's going to be the final separation between them. Because the last time um, Clone Wars quote ended was Ahsoka walking away from the Jedi, which wasn't walking away from Anakin. It wasn't a separating of them there. There's still an emotional tether, but it's now it's the emotional complete separation between the two of them. Um, and I do love the little poetic moments of him looking up and seeing the convoy, you know, and seeing that symbol of Ahsoka slash his experience on Mortis, you know, up there, but also his left eye showing through the mask. That's mm-hmm. just so, because you, it's like Anakin is still present at this point. You still understand that Darth Vader is not total machine yet there's still some good in him there's still some anakin left over yeah and it's it may not be until a little bit later i know that he's massacred quite a few jedi by this point but there may not be a point until later that darth vader does kill anakin skywalker because I don't know if at this point Obi-Wan knows that Anakin's just gone, you know, in that same way. But Yeah, that's a good point. There's, there's that mystery of the Obi-Wan relationship. We do know that Ahsoka doesn't know until Rebels that Anakin is Darth Vader. Did I articulate that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You did. It's a dramatic pause. I couldn't tell. No, no. 
You were, you were right. And then it does also bring back that eye brings back the moment in Rebels, Twilight of the Apprentice, where Ahsoka hits him, hits the mask, and we see his exposed face and mm-hmm. recognize Anakin there as well. So it's just a nice little callback to that, too. So it's just lovely that it's reflecting so much in just one silent moment. Dave Filoni's so good at endings. And in the same poetry, he had we had the, the Dave Filoni endings music playing in the scene, too. It's like the same thing, same music theme from the end of Rebels. It's the dramatic music. <laughs> Which I love. This is a new Star Wars musical motif that's around there, like Duel of the Fates and mm-hmm. many other things that keep coming back. I'm down with it. It's it's like poetry. It rhymes. Oh goodness! So Anakin's story is as much of a thread that we're following through this, and parts of it we get force hints of what's happened or what's happening. I found those to be. Interesting. They've felt slightly strange to me, storytelling wise. It felt kind of like, oh, so now she knows, or this was big enough in the force that now we felt that. So, I mean, Yoda feels when Order 66 happens too. So, just it made sense to me. It made, I'm not saying it didn't make sense. I'm just saying (laughs) in a storytelling way. It's like, oh, that's how we're getting and what what she's it's hard to see what she's gaining from that. All she knows that something happened with Anakin and Mace and Darth Sidious. She mm-hmm. she doesn't quite understand yet, but you know she hasn't gotten the full story from that. I think that she believes until years later in Rebels that Anakin died rather than becoming the apprentice to Darth Sidious. Mm. I really, I do think that, Mm. that she goes on believing that. That that was his death. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it was. (laughs) Many of the characters say it is, including him. Hmm. So another thing I want to say about that scene, like that's the, the massive scene right before Order 66. And when we're talking about mood and theme and and things happening, from the moment that we're getting onto the ship with Maul in the Mandalorian technology, pseudo-carbonite, pseudo-alien capture device, whatever he's in, um, which I'm so glad that they have the technology now to be able to show him breathing and his breath on that window. That's just amazing. But from that moment to the the moment where Ahsoka is staring into the light of the tunnel of hyperspace, you just know what's about to happen. You know that mm-hmm. it's coming. You know that this order has to happen somewhere on this ship. And you get reminded of what the betrayal is going to feel like and how precarious and dangerous the situation is. And you get it because of Kevin Kiner and his music. You get uh, this ebb and flow 
music that if it were happier, you could probably do breathing exercises to it. <laughs> you know, it'd be like nice focus music for your work day. But it has this ominous feeling to it, this tension. And it starts when Maul starts get getting loaded onto the ship and it just continues. And you just feel it, this big breathing, this kind of music all the way through. Well, and having rewatched the whole thing last night, it feels like that builds to all of the parts. So I want to say it, yes, and it, it keeps getting more dramatic. It does. And then, but through that, you see Ahsoka pass by all the clones. You wa- She walks by several more, and you're like, oh, they're going to kill her too. They're going to be after her. They're going to kill her. Um, they They salute to her as she's walking by, and you're like, they're going to betray her. They're going to betray her. Um, and there are two more. There are four more over there. And then he, Rex says, I'm going to go to my ne- the next briefing. And Ahsoka says, probably more good news, I, I expect. Like, no, it's the worst news. I also love the subtle design shift that happens at the same time. Because like the, the clone trooper helmets have been redesigned at the beginning of this, but they still, a lot of them prior to this point have the paintings of their platoons and things like that. So like the Rex platoon is like blue and white and you have Obi-Wan's group with the yellow and white. Mm -hmm. And then right after order 66, you start to get mixed in just plain white clone troopers. And you're like, Oh, their helmets are the same shape as everyone else, but now they look like stormtroopers. Just a very subtle, like, Here's a stormtrooper. Just a little bit. <laughs> Have fun. Yeah, it's so it's so well done that moment. I, I just knew it was I didn't want it to happen. And I was just like, here it comes, and how is this gonna work? And they just have such a way with adding tension with camera and editing in a way mm-hmm. that I think a lot of animated shows don't quite think about. They think about it very cinematically. I mean, yes, because I even going back to the the mall detention device, they they steal from the best, and I mean that in a complimentary way. (laughs) Uh, It's like the the whole mall captures this very Silence of the Lambs vibe to it, (laughs) right? He's got the mouthpiece. It's like Anthony Hopkins just being carted away in like the little dolly. Um, but speaking of building dread, going back apart when they're in the sewers, they oh. steal a shot directly from one of the Kurosawa samurai movies and which one it is escapes me at the moment. But it's when we see a long shot, like the camera's down a tunnel and you see a long shot of Ahsoka and the clones walking down a tunnel in the other direction and the camera's kind of following them and as it does you see one bad mandalorian peeking around the corner and then she turns and starts to go um follow the camera as well and as she walks to the next hallway to look down you see a whole bunch of other bad mandalorians waiting there in trap and i know that's like pose for pose a remake of a kurosawa (laughs) shot and i still love it uh (laughs) just because it's such a good tension building device speaking of cinematography and using it well unlike not 
on not to deride other animated shows, but it has a better knowledge of cinematic visual language than many other shows right now. And I think Dave Filoni was talking about that in some of the making of the new behind the scenes Mandalorian show. He was talking about a lot of the things that he got from George Lucas. And a lot of it was cinematic. You know, it's not just animation. We're going to do it this way. And he was talking about things that they'd cut together. And they're like, nope, this is all wrong. You have to do it like this. So that way you could get the feeling of this is a film. This is a movie. Every single week it's a movie. Um, which is why Clone Wars the series, it just has felt from the beginning, it's felt cinematic. And to go on that one example that you gave about the sewers, it's about taking your audience and giving them a little bit and the expectation and surprise. You know that there's bad things there. You know that there are people waiting. But you show the one person and think, there's one level of danger. You're like, okay, oh, I understand how dangerous this is. And then you're like, no, it's bigger. It's worse <laughs> than that. It's just, mm-hmm. it adds that one, two punch that here's your expectation. We granted you that. And here's how we defy it by adding even more and upping things to just rise your tension just a little bit. We give you a little bit of breath and now it's, we're going to take you all the way through. That makes sense. It's it's like the visual storytelling that's been passed down torchwise that way. And I mean this in a very complimentary way because George Lucas is a much better visual storytelling writer than he is like a dialogue writer. Mm-hmm. And I, I do mean that as a compliment because he's so much better at that than so many other people working in the field, even today still, who have grown up watching this stuff and getting that from the original Star Wars movies that George Lucas worked on too. Um, the visual storytelling is just something that's really, he doesn't get enough credit for. And I'm glad that that language has been handed down. And I really think, and I don't know if this is going to be bad of me to say, but I really think that animation is the best place for Star Wars to be. Yeah. I mean, yes, I agree with that. I talk about this with the uninitiated friends all the time. Uh, <laughs> my, my favorite Star Wars is animated TV Star Wars. Like, I like the movies. I liked them growing up. I liked them in high school. Um, but I didn't love Star Wars until I started watching the animated shows, or at least it reached a new level. I'm like, mm-hmm. what I have now is a love with it. Back then, that was like puppy love. Didn't even know what I was talking about. That was fine. I could go years without seeing a new Star Wars thing and be totally okay. And now it's like, gimme, 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 gimme. <laughs> ah. So let's let's move on to Obi-Wan. And then we'll talk about some of the characters who are actually more in the show. So I, I like that we've talked about Anakin. I like that we've discussed theme and storytelling visually. Let's talk. Let's go deeper into characters as well. Yeah, um, I think we've jumped around a lot too. 
Please don't. <laughs> I hope have. that we've, we've said we a number of the things we want to say <laughs> out of order, but in, in the right appropriate spots for our conversation. Uh, but circling back, so the what's what's the play? The topic was that's a play or a Tennessee anyway. Um, oh no, uh, Obi Wan. Uh, speaking of characters and like what this sheds light on for who they are in Revenge of the Sith or in other Star Wars properties, while this doesn't add much to who Obi Wan is after Revenge of the Sith or set him on a new character arc, it kind of firmly says again like who he is at the beginning of revenge of the sith versus the clone wars leading up to this Mm. because obi-wan we have during the clone wars is still emotionally attached and he's trying his best to be a good teacher for anakin and friend um he's trying to obey the jedi council but we see his emotional attachments passed with duchess satine and his grief over her death and rivalry with Maul. And instead what we see Obi-Wan at the beginning is he's now at a point where he's embraced the path of the Jedi, but not necessarily the Jedi order. It's Mm. like someone who says like, I don't go to church, but I'm spiritual. Like (laughs) sure you got, you got the core of this. You don't necessarily go with all the trappings, but you got the core and you understand what's important. And Obi-Wan is that he's kind of, gone with the Jedi path and he's detached from his feelings in a way that it can't cloud his judgment and not in like a negative I'm a robot I can't have feelings or friends way but just he can separate his personal desires and wants from what is the best thing he can do overall and he even says to Ahsoka I'm not sure the council's always right, which is a juxtaposition for how he's behaving in Revenge of the Sith, but also acknowledging like, hey, they expelled you and accused you of the thing that was wrong, and that was the bad thing. Uh, so it's adding some depth to what he does during episode three. Mm. Yeah, there, there, you do have to go a long way from Obi-Wan in Attack of the Clones to Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith. A long way. <laughs> the Clone Wars does that. <laughs> uh, and we were talking a bit before recording this, but I, I think where this is an interesting plot gap, and if I may transition into Star Wars speculation mode, um, we know they're making an Obi-Wan TV show with Ian McGregor, and kind of where we leave Maul and getting into that in this episode versus Maul when we see him again in Rebels and a little midpoint of Solo. There's Solo. We'll have to keep that in mind. <clears throat> so we leave Maul here where he's not really interested in Obi-Wan himself anymore. He wants to take Anakin off the the board game board to get back at Sidious, but he's not actually as concerned about Obi-Wan currently. And then when we see him again in Rebels, he's obsessed with Obi-Wan, wants to find him and kill him. You're like, hmm, what happened there? And the cookie crumb we get in the middle in Solo is Maul is alive after the fall of the Republic and he has his crime syndicate, Crimson Dawn, which we never hear again of, really. So my Star Wars speculation is that at some point during the Obi-Wan TV show, they meet again and presumably Obi-Wan topples Crimson Dawn or something to give Maul a reason to hate Obi-Wan again in a new, more burning way. Hmm. 
Hmm. There is speculation. Black, there's Black Sun is a huge crime syndicate on Tatooine. Mm-hmm. So it's not unheard of that Obi-Wan, who knows Mos Eisley as, you know, a hive of villainy to, you know, to be aware of crime and crime syndicates. Like, he had no problem going up to Han Solo to be like, hey, I need to get a ship. And he knows that this is a smuggler. He knows what this is. Like, he's like, yeah, I know exactly where to go. So if, I, I have a feeling like the Obi-Wan series could be about, what's he, what's he going to do? Sit in the desert and just watch them? Uh, yep, they're, they're fine today. I'm going to write in my journal. Yes, Luke is still fine. He looks good. He's grown, from my estimates, about an inch Great, this Obi-Wan <laughs> signing off for the day. Or Ben, sorry, Ben signing off for the day. Like, I don't expect that he'll get maybe too far from Tatooine, but it, I think that this, the Clone Wars definitely leaves room to tell more of what happens to Obi-Wan before the next time we see him and what happens to Maul before the next time. We really see them beyond like 30 seconds of screen time. Mm-hmm. And those may be related. I don't know, but. I hope they are. I hope <laughs> they are. They're, they're just juicy fruits just hanging there. Just let's just play with them. Ah, okay. I thought you meant like the candy there for a second. I know. I realized that when I said that, I was like, oh, not the gum, but like. <laughs> Delicious, delicious fruit. So, Chris, tell me more about the characters who are actually in this finale arc. Like, where, what does this say about them? Why do we spend this time going back to this TV show to revive it, to tell the story? What do we learn about these characters? Well, there are, there are two main characters that you're following in this final arc that you know you need to finish who, they, who they're going to end up being for later on is you have Ahsoka and Rex and their relationship because you have to get them to where they need to be for Rebels, for one. But also for two, they've also been growing from a young teenage Padawan who is just out of the temple and been assigned to Anakin Skywalker by Yoda. Like Yoda must know that what Anakin needs, and he knows that Ahsoka needs that influence from her. So I don't know what game Yoda's playing, but he understands something that we all don't. So her going from that to the realization that she has in the third episode of, you know, we're supposed to be the peacekeepers, and all I've been is a warrior. That's all I've done is fight a war since I was a, a young Padawan. That's it. And what's what's left? What, what more could she be doing if she wasn't a warrior? Mm-hmm. And is that what it means to be a Jedi if this is peace? So she asked that question of peacekeeper versus warmonger. 
Um, and then, of course, we have Rex, who is somebody who was built solely for, or bred solely for war, created as a war device, and then used and corrupted by the dark side unknowingly, fated to be a device for betrayal. And so there are those two things at war with each other right there. Am I destined to always be a warrior? Is that what it's about to be a Jedi? Is it is it about fighting in wars? And Rex, am I destined to go bad? Am I really mm-hmm. the villain in this story? And because it's the influence of the dark side, will the dark side win? Is that in an inevitable act happening? You make excellent points because it's kind of like a Sokan Rex go through the same journey of <clears throat> am I destined to be the bad guy but from different perspectives of Ahsoka seeing the Jedi as problematic. Mm-hmm. Am I destined to become one of them and just join back up with that and do that thing and do these things that I have moral qualms about and Rex having his programming activated and going am I destined to be nothing more than my programming and fill out the dark side's plan. And yet they join forces and work together, which is so contradictory to the literal on-screen offer that Maul makes Ahsoka in the same way of Maul also not wanting to be destined to be part of, or realizing he's not destined to be part of the actual big plan that's happening and wanting mm-hmm. to team up with Ahsoka. And while she rejects Maul, she accepts Rex. Because I think she sees that Maul is doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. Maul wants have uh, revenge, uh, and he also wants power, and he's trying to preserve himself. And Ahsoka is trying to preserve her friend and anyone else, even the people who are trying to kill her. Turn your devices to stun. We're not yeah. going to kill anybody. It's you know, such a powerful statement. I'm not going to be the one that kills them. They're just following orders. They've been good to me and they've done so much in this one act of betrayal. It's very parent, you know, Um, this one thing does not define. It's one dot on the graph of your experience with these people. And even though they're all firing at me, I'm not going to kill them. Mm Mm-hmm. And which goes apart to Maul, which, yes, she frees him. So and from a certain point of view, there's no blood on her hands. But also she's like, I need a distraction. So I'm going to free Maul so he could cause the chaos that I need him to so I can escape. But she also doesn't make it easy for him to kill them either because he wants his lightsaber. She's like, no, I'm not rooting for you. I'm not giving you this. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. I'm not going to make it easy on you. Yeah. <clears throat> but there they are. They're the themes. They're they're so bred and so much a part of these characters. They're inseparable from the Star Wars core themes that we have to follow them and complete their stories. It's interesting, like hearing you talk, I'm realizing Maul and like Mace Windu kind of wind up in the same spot right here where they both want to 
defeat the Dark Lord of the Sith, preserve their way of life, maintain power, and they're kind of doing a lot of this for the wrong reasons. Hmm. Yeah, in some ways, I always had a hard time with Mace Windu. I, I always had issues with Mace Windu, and I'm like, there's something about the way he's interpreting things that are giving me pause here. Well, I I don't want to dogpile on Mace Windu. Um, <laughs> I think he's a very interesting character in the same way that many of the Star Wars characters are interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Thematically, I was talking to my husband about this last night. Thematically, I think Mace Windu and Yoda have opposite paths in the prequels where Mace Windu begins as a cautious, like this kind of takes us down a dangerous path, guys. Are we sure we want to do this? You know, it's like, yes, for sure. We must murder the galaxy. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And where they end up is Yoda going like, oh, guys, we made a huge mistake. Like this was all a bad plan. Like we should have done this. I have lots of regrets. Yeah, I kind of like screwed over Ahsoka. Let me try to bridge the olive branch with her. (laughs) And Mace Windu's like, okay, I'm a general. We're in charge. We're doing this my way. Like, (laughs) go away, citizen. Uh, So he's interesting because he starts in the good part and Yoda and Mace Windu are just foils to each other with the paths that they take. So I don't want to dogpile on Mace Windu as being the bad guy, but I think that he, his story is representative of the Jedi order and the bad turns they've taken. Right. But there's also that feeling of, yeah, we, we grant you this, but we're not going to give you the title of master. We recognize you, but we're not going to call you one of us. Mm -hmm. He's trying to maintain control. He doesn't like, being told what to do by someone he's suspicious of. He's doing the right things for all the wrong reasons and with no empathy, which Correct. is the downfall of the Jedi Order, which it, it, I still think the prequels are about why the Jedi Order is bad. Right. Not the Jedi, the Jedi Order. Yeah. Because I think in some ways when we meet Yoda later, and also Yoda during the Clone Wars, is we see a very empathetic person. Mm-hmm. who recognizes the good in in people and the individuality of people. Like the first episode um, of the actual Clone Wars series. No, maybe it's not the very, I thought maybe it's the very first one. I'm trying to remember. Um, it's the first one after the movie, the Yoda and the clones. Yeah. Where he's like, yeah. Hey, take off your helmets. You know, you're all are individual people to me. You're not mm-hmm. just factory off the shelf, no name, people who you know faceless soldiers you mean something you have a life the force is in all of us and we're gonna we're gonna win this Mm -hmm. and it's not about the killing it's about the surviving together and being one yeah so yeah yoda has always been he understands the heart of it but also sees the danger in not being in control of your emotions. I think Yoda's the, uh, I think if Yoda were around today, which in some ways he was, you know, episode eight, (laughs) he would talk about having control of your emotions, not denying them. 
I, th- I think that would be the point of act because act through your emotions, not because of them or something, you know, more yeah. elegant, which I put, I feel like as an adult now, it's something I've had to learn in life, like outside of star Wars too. And I keep learning again and again. of like, oh, if I just take my emotions out of this thing, I enjoy it a lot more <laughs> driving. I think I'm a pretty good driver on the road, but it was a few years of my first years of driving where I just had an ego about it. It's like, I didn't like being cut off. I wanted to like be the most in control on the road. And then eventually it's like, I need to take my ego out of driving, go at my pace. I will get there, drive safely. And if people cut me off or are jerks, that's okay. They're living their own life. I don't know who they are. I'll probably never see them again or their car. It's just (laughs) one small interaction. I don't need to dwell on. (laughs) And that's the Jedi way. Just like, Recognize when your emotions are important, but be able to take your decision-making out of your emotions. Right. And they talk about cloud your judgment. Your emotions cloud your judgment. It's not saying you're having emotions, stop having emotions. And I think yeah. there's that interpretation, that wrong interpretation of, you. yeah, you can't have ties. You can't be held back because of those things that you love and the wrong interpretations of that. I'm excited to see this story and it being more obvious with the themes like that, because while star Wars in a good way is a story about space wizards for children, (laughs) uh, it's like people don't get it a lot of the time and it may have been too subtle for its own good. So I'm excited to see it being, a little less subtle or at least hitting the some of the same things again and again in new ways that it becomes less subtle because you've seen the same message delivered five times now. Right. And I think to, to talk through a, a little bit about Maul and Ahsoka, everyone was waiting for the big fight between the two of them. And people are like, why are all the best Star Wars uh, lightsaber battles between Maul and featuring Maul? And it's like, yeah, that's for all you folks who think that laser swords are what th- this is all about. It's not about the laser swords, guys. That That's why in episode two, they have their fight. Because that's not what it's building to. That's not mm-hmm. what it's about. Yes, that has to happen. That's part of war is having a battle. But that's not the core of what's happening. It's a trapping of the genre. If the genre here is Star Wars, it's visual code for like what happens in this story, but that's not story itself. Mm-hmm. I was really excited to have that fight because, you know, it's like, oh, it's Ray Park who played Maul from episode one doing motion capture. Woo. Amazing. You know, it, the most amazing looking Star Wars lightsaber battle done in animation so far. It is really cool. Mm-hmm. Really cool. Not my favorite story moment. No. I think for me, the best scene between Ahsoka and Maul is her opening up the the case to release him. Hmm. Like that's where it's all about. Where it's are you teaming up? No, I need you to be a distraction. And you realize that they're making that choice. Like Ahsoka is finding a way to save Rex and save herself and finding a way of 
Jettison Mall. That's my favorite Ahsoka and Mall scene, but my favorite Mall and Ahsoka scene, I think, is the right before <laughs> the fight. Oh, the offer. When, yeah, and she accepts briefly because that is the turning point for Maul, I think, because before this, he's been feeling rejected as a apprentice of his dark master that he no longer has. He's been trying to get back in favor, and here he realizes he's not going to be back in favor. And the thing that he's actually liked since being rejected is having his brother, Savage Opress, by his side. And so here's where he decides, like, ah, I just need a partner in all this, too, and build my own scheme in my own world. And he makes an offer to Ahsoka because he learns all about her and how her path has been the same of being rejected by the Jedi Order. Mm-hmm. And then Maul carries that forward in the rest of his story in Rebels when he's trying to make Ezra his apprentice there as well. He just wants a partner. He has a crime syndicate. He has Dryden Voss. Then later, presumably after all that's gone, he has tries to get Ezra. He's lonely. He's a sad boy. <laughs> yeah. He is a sad boy. He's half a man, you know. Literally. Literally. I mean, talk about themes hitting you <laughs> hitting you through the gut, you know. It's right there. <laughs> Slice through the gut by lightsaber. He's incomplete. <laughs> You know, going into that, the first time they brought Maul back, I was like, oh, this is like the last thing that I wanted in Star Wars is for Darth Maul to come back. And then as they've, they turned it around right away for me, like as immediately back on board, like, okay, I see why you did this. I like it. I can get behind it. It's not just for the cool points. It's because you're telling an interesting story that grows off of what has already come before, not bringing back the cool thing everybody loved from episode one. Yes, it was scary to think that their mall storytelling didn't have a foot to stand on. Hey. Hey. <laughs> but <I'm... laughs> I'm, I'm really glad for what they've done with Maul. Mm-hmm. And there's still more to tell. Mm-hmm. Hopefully just one more story and then I'm, I'm, I'm done with Maul after that. But... Yeah, we just have to get there. One, one more, yeah. and then we'll be good. It's all out of order, and I can't wait to like sit down and spend like a week someday in the future trying to figure out what order to show this all to my kids to. I'll figure it out. I'm currently having that issue, so <laughs> let me know what you decide. He right now he's only interested in watching scenes with droids in them, so I don't even know what to show him. The '80s cartoon show Star Wars droids. That, or I think there's some Lego Star Wars things that he's like, oh, Lego Star Wars things. I'm like, okay. Oh, yeah. So. That's a good jumping off point. It is. It is. It's not where I wanted to start, but we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll get somewhere. It's That's not, why they're focused on all the, like, kid stuff right now. Right. It's, it's not my journey. <laughs> it is his journey. Mm-hmm. And we all must find our own path. You are Yoda. You're here to like help him, assign him to the master that's best for him to teach him the most right now. Right. It's up to him to learn. Parenting. That's all. That's what this whole saga is about. <clears throat> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so now we just finished talking about how the cool things are what makes Star Wars fun. Uh, but tell me about the cool things. <laughs> <laughs> 
I I don't think I originally had a huge list as making a list of like all the Easter eggs and references that I caught. If you really want to know all that stuff and you're listening to this, I just highly encourage you instead to go on YouTube, search for the channel Star Wars Explained and watch all their videos about this arc because it's great. I love that channel. I watch everything they do after each animated episode, basically. Like, give me the four-minute summary of all the cool stuff. Make sure I caught it all, because I always think that I know a lot and do a good job. And they always way upstage me in my personal knowledge. So, why even pretend? Just plug Star Wars <laughs> Explained. Go watch that. But, Chris, were there any particular call-outs or references that you were like, ah, I see what you're doing here, and I really like it? What were the things? I mean, the obvious ones were like the opening crawl of Revenge of the Sith being acted out. You know, hey, we're about to go do this thing. General Grievous is attacking Coruscant. We got to get going. So like that obvious one, uh, adding the crime syndicate bosses. So you see Dryden Voss in there. Oh, and um, the guy... um, I feel like somebody from Shadows from of the Empire was in there too. It's the same species, but I don't know if it's supposed to be him or not. So I was like, "Oh, there's that guy looks really familiar for some reason." I had to look up why he looked familiar to me. I was like, <laughs> "I've seen that face." Um, let me think. What so I I missed Kanan in in it. Any bit of Kanan, like the first <laughs> like opening movie role, for right? Half a second in the half background. Uh, what else did I notice that was super, super fun? Oh, I don't even know. I think I mentioned some of my ones with like the eyeball and the convoy at the end. I really mm-hmm. like the subtle change from to stormtroopers. So we know that time is actually passed between what we last saw with Ahsoka and this new scene with Vader. Uh, What else were some of the other quote Easter eggs that I liked? Um, Sabine's family, the Wren family Mm -hmm. coming back in. Did not expect Ursa Wren to have major screen time. (laughs) Um, That whole battle that, I mean, that's not a Easter egg, but the race you to the surface that whole thing was just remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you? What else? What other things did you notice that you were like, where, <laughs> where this is going, or what you noticed? I mean, uh, I'm going to narrow mine down a lot. I'm probably going to name one general thematic area, but in a very Stefan way, like this Star Wars has something for everyone. <laughs> like. No matter what you like, if it's one of the trilogies of movies, if it's Rogue One, if it's Solo, if it's Rebels, if it's the rest of Clone Wars, if it's the Mandalorian, there's something here for you. The only thing I couldn't find a direct reference to was Resistance. Um, but thematically, that's all there, too. Right. Um, for me, one of the things that I found, I think, most surprising, which is why I focus on it the most, is just the connections to the sequel trilogy. Mm-hmm. Which weren't, I think, as direct, like, plot trappings. It was more about how they did things. And it was for Maul especially. He does, like, the Kylo Ren force interrogation. He Kylo Ren's blaster bolts away. Um, Of course, 
the saving what you love theme being in there. Um, for me, like rewatching it the second time and just focusing on Maul and like knowing that he has lots of references to the sequel trilogy is like, oh, they're just, he felt way more powerful and dangerous to me the second time I watched this arc. Because like, mm. if the movies say Kylo Ren is the most powerful, most dangerous iteration of the dark side we see in the movies, we see Maul doing all of the same things he does at this point. Maul has grown to a point where he's as powerful and dangerous as Kylo Ren is in the sequel trilogy, which is just really interesting to me. And he gets many wonderful moments doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just this raw, raw emotional power. I think the thing that's dangerous about Kylo Ren versus Maul is Maul has learned to control it. Yeah. And... Um, Kylo Ren is still very much a product of his emotions. Because Maul also gets his own, like, Darth Vader going down the rebel ship hallway in Rogue One style scene, except mm-hmm. doing Kylo Ren things. Like, this is, this is scary. <laughs> he, 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 he's, yeah, he, I don't need a lightsaber to kill you all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm going to rip your ship apart, carry it down the hall as shields, and then kill you with it. Like, yeah, like if you don't know anything about the future of Star Wars, like when Ahsoka first sends him away, you're like, okay, this is how Maul finally ends. Got it. I'm on board. Uh, and then it would immediately prove you wrong. of like, oh, no, he's not going to die. Okay. And you also get Ahsoka holding the ship, which is like Rise Rey. of Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. Right there. And then, but I'm, she gives up, which is... She turns around and actually lets go and realizes, I can't keep this up. Like This is not, I'm not going to win this. I mean, that, skipping ahead, that is my favorite thing of the literal choice of saving what she loves. Not someone else telling her to save what she loves. Like the character realizing that's how you win on her own. And having the choice of keeping Maul in her grasp or saving Rex, her friend. And she chooses to save Rex instead and let Maul get away. Mm. As much as I love Finn in the sequel trilogy, I like that Ahsoka gets there on her own. Mm-hmm. But I, I think people need it spelled out. They didn't have this whole time to learn to love Ahsoka and, you know, they didn't have as much time for Ahsoka and Rex to build. Like, it's obvious that they love each other in a mm-hmm. very strong and I will say intimate way, not intimacy the way that the world defines it, but they are very intimate friends. Mm -hmm. They have that connection to each other. That doesn't have to be romantic. There are so many air quotes on that. Yeah. So so that was your favorite thing. Yeah. I mean, that's what the whole arc builds to. And then... (laughs) I think it's an obvious favorite thing, but I'll, I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> my my favorite thing is the music in episode three, the uneasy music that I spoke about earlier, just that whole scene, because it's just playing with you as an audience member. It's, it's just them fully taking you on a ride and showing you exactly what's going on and making you feel a certain way. It's, I use this, there might be bad connotations to say this, but it's audience manipulation in the best possible way. 
everything that <laughs> music, the visuals, the timing, the editing, Ahsoka staring off into the blank space, you know, the light. It's like if you didn't know anything Star Wars, you would think that she was about to die, you know, mm-hmm. and all the visuals are there too. And in some ways, the hope of Ahsoka ever becoming a Jedi is what dies at that moment because the Jedi get killed. Even Ahsoka, quote, as a Jedi, dies because of Order 66. I think in the the evolution of the definition of Jedi that Return of the Jedi and The Last Jedi, a lot of Jedi in that sentence, uh, <laughs> what they get at is returning to the idea of what it means to be a Jedi now, the Jedi Order. I think that she is accepted and she accepts herself that she's a Jedi at some point. Also a good reason for her to have her voice in Rise of Skywalker at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. As all the Jedi speak to Rey, I'm like, oh, you're a Jedi now and dead. Cool. But when? We'll get there eventually. We will. It may, it may be five to ten years. But I think, yeah. I think we'll get there. That's fine. Could be live action. Could be animated. I don't even know what I want out of that. I don't know either. And that's, I think that's what separates us sometimes from capital F fans is we can see what story wise, what we might want from there, but it's like, just give me what you want. Creators. You have a voice, you have ideas, you have themes. I'll enjoy it. Just share it with me. I just want to be, Part of it. Mm-hmm. So. Part of your world, galaxy. <laughs> Shall we talk homework time? <laughs> Let's. For your homework, we are going to take a look at a different kind of family story. The Willoughby's on Netflix, based on the novel The Willoughby's. <laughs> so watch Check that. it out. Yeah. <laughs> That's what we're talking about next time. As always, thank you to our engineer, Nigel Catino, and to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Find us on the web on Twitter, at WG Animated. Let us know your favorite moments from the finale of Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And you can see our show notes and links to fun things on writersgetanimated.podbean.com and Facebook. Like us there as well. And give us a review wherever you listen to podcasts, your favorite podcatcher. Podcatcher? I don't know if that's a thing. It feels right. (laughs) And it also feels wrong. I would have gone with Pod Racer to fit the theme of the episode. True. But then they would have we would have confused things. But Okay, fine. Fine. May the force be with you. And also with you. <laughs> <laughs>